Okay, Colossians chapter 3. I'd like to start with verse 3 here this, this morning. Or uh, verse 2. I want to start with verse 2 this morning. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Now, God's word starts out this morning telling us that we are to set our affection or things in heaven, not on the earth. That our heart's desire should be on things in heaven. Set your affection on things above. And I got to tell you, it is getting easier and easier and easier as this world gets more and more and more wicked. As this world's standards just seem to sink deeper and deeper into lawlessness and to sinfulness, it gets easier and easier to set our mind on things in heaven where the Lord Jesus is seated at, seated at the right hand of the Father. The definition, or, or definitely, we are seeing a time when right has become wrong and wrong has become right it's almost as if the whole planet has gone haywire, almost to the point where you no longer recognize the country in which you live. It's almost as if, I was talking to Dale this morning, it's almost as if you fell asleep and you woke up and you wonder, where in the world am I now? Which planet did I fall asleep on and which planet did I wake up on? So many things that are happening just this week that I wasn't studying, I wasn't looking into, they just kept glaringly throwing themselves uh, news reports and because I've quit watching the news. But so the news watches me. The news comes and, and so many things were, were, were happening this week as I was preparing this. And basically, studying sets your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And then news articles would come across about uh, how uh, the movement is afoot to normalize pedophilia. Anybody see that this week? And I I think part of the reason for that is because there's a bunch of reports that are about to come out on big-name officials who have been involved in pedophilia... And so they're going to, they're, they're doing everything they can to normalize something as incredibly evil and wicked as that. Sex trafficking. Faye went to a public administrator's training session, and one of the things that they emphasized there was the problem with sex trafficking. That it is like, talk about a pandemic talking about an epidemic, the sex trafficking trade is just out of hand. 
Who would have thunk it just a few short years ago? You wouldn't even be thinking of things like this, talking about things like that. But again, I think it's because there are a lot of famous folks that are about to have their head handed to them on a platter, at least I hope so. And so what's happening is they're trying to normalize some of these things and making it sound as if, well, it's just love. No, it's not. It's wickedness to the nth degree. Hate. Hate is so thick, you can taste it. From sea to shining sea, the racial tensions are boiling over, and it shouldn't be. But somebody is stirring stuff up, and we know who that somebody is. It's an enemy that we have that hates the church, that hates believers, and the wickedness has just gotten to the point that you wonder where in the world did I wake up living? First John chapter 5:19 says that the whole world lies in wickedness. Well, yeah, yeah, it does. And we know that we are of God. Amen. And the whole world lies in wickedness. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. James 4.4 says that if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. It kind of clears it up for us where as believers, where our hope, our trust, our affection needs to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, tells us that the God of this world literally has the authority and the power to blind the minds of those who believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into their lives. That's power, and that's what he's about. That's what he's doing. He's blinding the minds of those that believe not. And that's why I think it is so important that we pray for revival. We pray for an awakening. Because uh, verse 5 of that verse, I think it's, it's critical. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. That Verse 6, Tim. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. Aren't you glad he did that with the truth of the gospel? Satan blinds the minds of those who believe not. But I'm telling you, the gospel is powerful. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. And we, yes, Satan is powerful, but God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. He has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow, what a glorious plan of salvation. As the world just sinks, sinks deeper and deeper into lawliness. Uh, as a matter of fact, Matthew tw- uh, 24, verse 12, Tim. Matthew 24, verse 12. Talks about that spirit of lawlessness that 
that in the last days we're going we're gonna to see. And I think that's where we're building ourselves. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The Greek word for iniquity there is literally lawlessness. Kind of makes sense with all the stuff that's going on nowadays, doesn't it? Because iniquity, because lawless, lawlessness shall abound. Uh, second, second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. The mystery of lawlessness doth already work. Only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. But the, the, the mystery of lawlessness... The mystery of iniquity. That's all part of what we take. I think we are, we're there. And the believer, the believer, his prevailing thought is to be, to set his affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Because the, this, this world has just become a wicked, wicked place. Matter of fact, I remember growing up, uh, there was a, an old adage that my granddaddy and daddy and uncles and all would, would say to, to people all the time, well, you need to get your mind out of the gutter. You ever heard that? You need to get your mind out of the gutter. Well, the gutter reference was uh, a place that filth and trash flowed. It was in the gutter. Well, I'm sad to report it's down main street nowadays all the trash and the filth is right down main street philippians chapter 4 verse 8 tells us as believers how we are to think look at philippians chapter 4 verse 8 finally brethren whatsoever things are true whatsoever things are honest whatsoever things are just Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now this imperative from the Word of God tells us how we are to think as believers. End of argument. To set your affection above, it literally means to have the mind of Christ. mind that desires to be loving, to be forgiving, to be sacrificial. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your mind. And that means that's an effort on our part as believers. When it says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, it's saying, believer, you are to do that. It is something that you need to do. It's not a requirement for your salvation, but it's something you should desire to do because of your salvation, because of who you are in Christ. You want to have that transformed mind. Verse 3 in Colossians chapter 3. For you are dead, 
You're dead. End of argument, believer. You, you are dead, but here's the good news. And your life is hid with Christ in God. God's word is very clear. You are to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive how? Unto God. You are dead. It has to do with the, our identification with Christ that we've been talking about for the last several weeks as we've gone through the book of Colossians, that we identify with Christ's death. We are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So we identify with his death. We identify with his burial. We identify with his resurrection. We identify with his ascension. We identify with him seated at the right hand of the Father. We identify with Christ Jesus because by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been placed into the body of Christ, sealed there until the day of redemption. And the way we are to consider ourselves is to be dead indeed unto sin. You are dead. You, and because you're dead, sin no longer has any dominion or authority over you. The law has no more dominion or authority over you because in the mind of God, you have, been, you have died spiritually with Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, I think that's one of the reasons as believers... There's no need for us to fear death. We've already died. We've already died. Why, why fear death? Well, yeah, because it might hurt. Well, I understand that. But as far as death itself and the passing over, why? What a joy. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Think about it. In God's mind, the wages of sin is death. You've died. Christ paid that debt, so there is no need for us to fear that debt. You are dead to sin. And by no act of your own. By no act of your own. That's the thing we want to stress. That is not because of your efforts and your endeavors and your attempts to satisfy God. But it's because of who you are in Christ and your relationship with Him, how by faith you came to Christ believing and you became part of His body. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Wow, what a position. What security. Look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I know we went over this just the other day, but boy, it's worth going over again. Romans chapter 6. Let's start with verse 3. We're going to emphasize verse 11, but let's start with verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. That's your calling, to walk in the newness of life. You've been made new. You've been made a new creation. There should be a difference in your life. Verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. 
knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That relationship you had with Adam, that has been nailed to the cross. That our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. And God's word in Colossians just said, you're dead. You're dead. Oh, when we sing that Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Folks, when we sing that, it ought to bring tears to our eyes. When we think how God has saved us, he has made us new creations, that we are completely saved, secure in Christ Jesus. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, verse 11, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall, have, shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. All because of the blood of Christ. All because of what He accomplished. God's Word, back in Colossians chapter 3, for you are dead. Claim it. Talk about name it and claim it. That's what you can name and claim. That's something you can wrap your mind around, and that's something you can embrace and say, that's mine, is standing in Christ Jesus. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Verse 4. Verse 4. Interesting, in verse 3, it says, for you are dead. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is our life. You're dead, but when Christ, who is our life, comparing those two, what a contrast. You're to consider yourself dead, but alive unto God because of Christ. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, and I think this is the second coming. This is not the rapture. We've already been caught up. We've already spent seven years in, in, in heaven. The, the rapture's already taken place. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. You are going to be part of that throng. You are going to be part of that host. You are going to be part of that army, those saints that return with the Lord Jesus, and every eye is going to see him. And can you imagine how effective can you imagine how awesome that's going to be when Christ returns? 
when Christ, who is our life, we have our being, we have our life in Him. We are part of His body. We are going to be part of that throng, glorified, then shall we appear with Him in glory. In His glorification, we are going to be part of that. Remember last week we talked about the fact that, that the, the things that, that you do, the church, the body of Christ, and you're part of that. The two things you do, one is you show the wisdom of all creation. You show the wisdom of God to all of creation. And the two, you show the amazing grace of God throughout all eternity. But we also are part of His glorification when He returns. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Start with verse 15. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Kind of goes right along with what we're talking about here. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Don't tell me I'm not saved. Don't tell me that I'm not a child of God. Don't tell me that my salvation was not real. I know it was. How? Because the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with the Spirit that lives within me that I am redeemed. Not because I've worked at it. Not because I've earned it. Not because God owes it to me, but because by faith I accepted the free gift of a loving God. And my spirit bears witness, and I hope your spirit bears witness with that truth. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. So when he comes back, we're coming back with him as family back with him his family heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together going to be glorified together with him and you say well I haven't suffered I've never suffered well 1 Corinthians 12 26 says that if one member of the body Christ has suffered then every member every part of the body has suffered so yeah you have yeah, you have, and God is going to provide that glorification. Look at Philippians one. Philippians chapter one. Look at verse twenty-seven. Twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Only let your conversation or your citizenship be as it becomes the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing, this is a good scripture for today's, due to today's headlines, 
and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, hey, the battle's already won. The victory is, our, uh, is already ours. Not terrified. We don't live in fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token or a sign of perdition. It's your, your fearlessness, your faith, really is a token to them that they've lost. That they've lost. But to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you, look at verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also suffer for his sake. Also suffer for his sake. Well, he allows us to be part of his salvation. He allows us to be part of his suffering. Back to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to try to get through the, the whole third chapter this, this morning. Verse 5. And I hope this morning that Christ is your life. I hope this morning that you say, yes, He is my life. He is my Savior. He is the Lord of my life. Verse 5, believer. It's all positive. It's all based on the complete and total work of Christ. But look at verse 5. Mortify. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of, of disobedience. Here Paul is telling the believers to mortify, put to death, leave those things behind that's not who you are now that's not supposed to be part of your life put to death those members those things that how you used to be put them put them to death it goes along with Romans chapter 6 that we were just reading it involves the will somebody that redeemed whose lives have been changed they've been made a new creation why if, if those things are still bring pleasure and excitement and not guilt and not uh, feelings of remorse we need to talk we need to talk mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth and it lists all of those things for and God's word says, because on those things, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. That's referring to the lost, to those people who refuse to by faith believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about these children of, dis, or of disobedience who basically are the heirs of Satan and following after him. Verse in the which ye also walked at some time when you lived in them. Paul's reminding them, this is what you used to do with emphasis on the used to, the used to. And the whole point here is look at the difference that the Lord Jesus has made in your life. Look at the change that has been brought 
about since Christ came into your heart and you've been saved. You used to walk at one time when you lived in them, when you were involved in that sort of thing, but now ye put also off all these things. Now, he's saying, believer, you shouldn't be doing these things. The fornication and the uncleanness and the inordinate affection and the evil concupiscence and the, co- the covetousness. Oh, those things, you, that's what you may have used to do because that's what the entire world did. But don't do those anymore. But then he goes ahead and he lists some other things that a lot of believers tend to sort of do. Kind of, oh, we don't do the fornication. Oh, we don't do those other things. But Paul goes on to say, but now also put off these things, believer, because Christ is your life. You have set your affection on things above. Put these things off. Anger. It's one of the reasons I quit watching the news. Because I always thought uh, uh, being angry and sinning not. But like I said before, don't talk to my wife about that. Put off these things. Anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy, and filthy communication out of your mouth. Put those, those things are not becoming of a believer, of someone whose life has been changed. There needs to be a difference in our lives. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you have put on the new man, which is in renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Folks, you need to see yourself as an absolute new creation in Christ. That you have gone from the old man, and you have been placed into the new man. You're not that same person. You're not that same person. You are now in Christ, the new man. And your life needs to bear witness of that, of that change. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. Start with verse, well, look at verse 21. First Corinthians 15, 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be made alive. So the question is, who are you in? Are you still in Adam? Or by faith you have believed on the Lord Jesus, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, you have been planted, you have been placed into the new man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Look at verse 
45 of that same 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 45. So it is written, the first man, that's the old man, Adam, was made a living soul. But the last Adam, that's the Lord Jesus, was made a quickening spirit. And you have been placed in him. Why I can tell you that you're absolutely secure in that last Adam. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I, I, I mean, I have so many scriptures that are my favorite scriptures, but this one here, I, I just, I embrace this probably like no other. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Wow. Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In him. What a plan of salvation. What a plan of salvation. Back to Colossians chapter 3. For you have, verse 10, for you have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. For there, and it's talking about the body of Christ here, for there is neither Greek nor Jew, or Gentile nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. See, that's true of this present dispensation. That's true of this present dispensation. Jew and Gentile make up the body of Christ. It makes no difference. Circumcision used to make a difference. But no longer. That's the point that Paul is trying to get across. There is neither Gentile or Jew in the body of Christ. There is neither, again it says circumcision or uncircumcision, saying the same thing, Jew or Gentile, barbarian or Scythian, bond or free, slave. Or, in the body of Christ you're equal. In the body of Christ you are equal. But Christ is all and in all. Put on, verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God. See, it was telling us what not to do. Here we go telling us what we need to be doing, believer. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. That's the attitude, that's the demeanor of somebody who's, <clears throat> who's been made that new creation in Christ. That kindness, that's, that's love with working clothes on. Beloved. That's what God Call the Lord Jesus. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Here the exact same word is used about us. Those who know Christ Jesus. Hmm. 
it's not working half the time anyway, so maybe when I cough it wouldn't matter. But, but put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. That's the way a believer behaves. That's the way somebody who's been washed in the blood of Christ, that's the way they conduct their life. Paul is telling these group of Gentiles here in this church in Colossae you, what to put off and what to put on. That's how you don't act. This is how you act, church. You forbear with one another. You know, and i got to tell you, that's one thing this church has been really good at doing. Forgiving one another. Um, if there comes up, if there comes an argument, if there is an issue, uh, the Spirit of the living God really does permeate. And God just has His way and will. But forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man hath a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, you also do it. Don't think about it. Don't say, well, if he apologizes to me, I'll apologize to him. Well, if she, if she comes to me, we're to forgive, we're to forbear, we're to have patience, because that's who we are in Christ. Just as Christ forgave you, you are to forgive. Verse 14. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Boy, yeah, you need to be forgiving. You need to be forbearing. You, you, you kindness and humbleness of mind. But you know what all pulls it together? You know what really makes all that obvious? Is the love that you have one for another. And above all these things, put on charity, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. That's what completes that Christian stance, that Christian stand, that walk with Christ, that behavior. It is just love. And it goes back to having the mind of Christ. That's what God calls us to do. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Now these next two verses have what I call the letha, the letha verses. You ever heard of the letha? Well, you're getting ready to hear about it for the first time. If you said, yeah, I was going to go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Who else preached the sermon? Next two verses in letha. Verse 15, uh, 14, uh, 15. And let, the, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Boy, in times like today, I, it, it is so easy for the hair on the back of my neck to stand up, when you hear things that people are saying and things that people are doing and the accusations that are flying and the things that are just happening, 
it is just easy to get a little nervous about the future. But we are instructed by the Lord that we are to let the peace of God, let the peace of God rule in our hearts. See, we already have that peace with God. That's the main peace, okay? That peace with God. We're to have, the, if you don't have that peace with God, if you're still longer, still longer, if you're still an enemy with God, let's talk about that. Because God offers salvation by grace, so you no longer have to be an enemy with God. So you can have that peace with God. This, again, is talking about the peace of God. Just like he talked to that church in Philippi about the peace of God that passes all understanding. Here, you let the peace of God, regardless of what's happening, and and I'm not saying you don't take a stand, that you don't speak out, that you don't let your voice heard. I'm not saying you don't do that, because you do that. We take a godly stand. But we still don't get fearful. We don't get nervous about the future. Because the peace of God is ruling, directing your life. So let the peace of God, in verse 16, there's only one way for the let the peace of God to rule is if you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I'm telling you, without the word of Christ in your life, you're going to find trouble on every side. Without the word of God, you are going to be distressed. Without the word of God, you can't let the peace of God rule. It takes the word of God. Let the, don't ask me how to spell it, but let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. First of all, that's the reason we come together as believers. That's why I encourage you all to come and show up on Sunday morning in order to worship so that we can sing praises together and sing songs. Yeah, no, I'm all for you going down the road in your car singing and, and listening to the radio and singing and, and getting excited about the things of Christ or at home while you're washing the dishes, men, and washing the clothes, men, and doing things like that where you, you're, you're trying to help you out, ladies. Where you're rejoicing in Christ, and it's great to be worshiping and singing psalms and songs and spirits. But I'm telling you, coming here together where we sing these songs, but you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And it goes back up to. Chapter 2, verse 7, rooted and built up in Him. The only way you can be rooted and built up in Christ is to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. Studying to show ourselves approved unto God. How absolutely important that is. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, 
teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And the reason for that is because He is our life. He is our life. He has redeemed us. He has made us new creations. He has made us accepted to the Father. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come before you and we thank you for that redemption we have in Christ. Father, I pray that it is the desire of everyone here this morning. Whatever they do in deed or word, they do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be a church that's serious about the things of God. Serious about our walk with Him. Serious about setting our affection on things above not on things of the earth. Serious about being rooted in Christ. Serious about letting the peace of God rule in our hearts when the world has just gone absolutely crazy. Father, that we're serious about knowing your word and dwelling so that the peace of God will rule in our hearts. Father, may each and every person here be serious about their walk with you, about their relationship with you, and all that we say and do. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.